Hey everyone, welcome to the Quest Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Ed Slover, and I'm fiercely passionate about life, love, leading, and learning with a little laughter sprinkled in. Thank you for joining the conversation. And this podcast really is uh, a conversation. I've got my note sheets. I've got the points that I want to be sure to touch on throughout each and every podcast, but it's not scripted. So I might stutter. I might stammer. You'll certainly notice when I do. Um, but the design isn't for this to be a, you know, perfectly produced. The design is to have a conversation. The design is to be informal. So in, let's get started. In today's episode, I want to examine the nature of power and its role in our lives and the lives of others. So I'd like to start by asking you some questions. So first, um, think about a time when you were a child uh, and your parents made you stop doing something that you were, um, you were doing, that you were enjoying doing. Maybe you were watching television. Maybe you were playing with, with Legos. Maybe you were um, on, your, on your phone. And whenever you got the direction to go clean your room, how did that make you feel in the moment? Chances are good. I mean, if you're anything like me, chances are pretty good. Um, you felt that that request or the direction that your parents give you was minimally off-putting uh, up to just encroaching on all of the fun that you were having, and rightfully so. And if, you're, if you were like me and like most children, um, there was some resistance and you pushed back on that and probably rightfully so. And then as your parents recognize the resistance, where did they, where did they go to next? Well, chances are pretty good. They provided some you know, why behind the what explanation as to uh, why they wanted you to um, clean your room. And then that didn't convince you enough to actually go do it. So you resisted some more. And then where do they go from there? Well, whether it was the next step or the next step after that, eventually they deferred to coercion, which is simply put the threat of punishment up to actual punishment. And you know, those might include things like, well, you don't get your screens for a certain amount of time. You don't get to play with friends. You might not get dessert. Anything to ultimately get you uh, to go comply with what it was that they wanted you to do, which in this case was to clean your room. All right. So next question. Think about an influential person in your life and why they were influential. I mean, this could be a parent, this could be a teacher, this could be a coach, could be a mentor. And ask yourself, what about them made them influential in your life? What about them allowed you to commit to uh, their, their thought process, maybe their worldview, maybe they tasked you with something? What was it about them that allowed them to have influence in your life. The contrast between the two scenarios couldn't be more stark, which is you know, really the fundamental difference of power versus force. Very often, power is mis misunderstood. If I were to draw an organizational chart um, on a board and asked you who was the leader, Chances are pretty good, you would say the person at the very top is the leader, and maybe um, there are um, 
layers as we go down through the org chart that you would um, identify as leaders. Maybe you would identify some people as managers. You would very likely at the very bottom of the organization chart um, label uh, those at the bottom employees or followers. But as Simon Sinek said, leadership isn't a rank. Just because someone holds a, a position of authority does not necessarily mean that they're a leader. We intuitively know this because leadership, like power, is an influence process. As John Maxwell says, leadership is influence, always has been, always will be. Well, power functions the exact same way, but that's not typically how we view power. We view people that have positional authority over us and getting us to do what they need them or want us to do as having power over us. But that's not how that works. The parent that coerces their child through a threat of punishment or punishment isn't using power. They're using force. Force, force is pushing against something. Force is um, making operative against someone's will. In this case, the child's will to not want to go clean their room. And we see this in business all the time. Versus power, and the, exam, the, the question I asked you about an influential person in your life, maybe a coach or a mentor or a teacher, um, what, what about them allows them to be influential in your life? And herein lies the paradox of power. We allow people to be influential in our lives. We give other people power to have influence in our lives not unlike how we teach people how to treat us. We teach people how to communicate with us. We teach people how to love us. We teach other people how we are to be respected. And, and you're like, well, that kind of seems odd because why would I, why, why would I give something to someone else where they can have the, you know, significant influence over me? Well, you first need to understand what the recipe is for you know how this works and this applies both to power and leadership because both power and leadership when thought of uh, accurately are both influence so think about it this way if you're an employee let's say you're newly hired and you're in your first 60 to 90 days clearly you're going through some type of onboarding process you're watching all sorts of videos, you're getting to know your job, you're getting to uh, understand uh, sort of the day-to-day -day operations, you're learning what, about the culture of the organization. And then as you mature in your role, um, the nature of the relationship between your immediate supervisor should start to change. I mean, the really early stages of any employment should be highly directive. I mean, you should be told, do this, do that. It makes very, very little sense for a manager to hire someone who doesn't have any idea what it is they're supposed to do in their job and say, hey, yep, let me know if you need anything. Open door policy. I, I got your back. Full support here. That doesn't make any sense because the number one job of anyone in a position of authority or in a leadership position is to make that person better at their job. I mean, otherwise, why why would you waste your time, you know, hiring this person if the goal wasn't to make them better at their job? Because when they become better at their job, and you have other employees that are 
even better at their job, that makes your job not only a heck of a lot easier, but it gives you a much better chance of winning. I digress. So as the employee matures in the role, the nature of the relationship should change. And if you understand the dynamics of power, you understand what leadership actually is, that, that manager, once they start showing the employee that they have their best interest in mind, something really, really cool starts to change. When the employee feels that their manager has their best interest in mind, and then you start stacking situations uh, uh, up where the employee really legitimately believes that their manager has their best interest in mind, they start to trust them. And once the employee starts to trust the manager, that's when commitment occurs. Once you get commitment, and trust always precedes commitment, once you get commitment from that employee, it's, it's no longer about the brand. It's no longer about the logo. It's no longer about the paycheck. It's no longer about doing these specific tasks because I am required to do them. Another way of saying that is we move from compliance to commitment. And once we get to commitment, we end up performing our job because the manager made certain requests. It becomes about them. It's not about the company as much anymore. It's about them versus force is compliance. In fact, it's malicious compliance. And if any of you have ever been in a job that you had a bad boss or a bad supervisor, and if you're not, if you've never experienced anything like this, just wait, at some point you will, which is really just too bad. The reality is, is that you'll end up living in a check the box world. I mean, just draw a box with in, in the air with your finger and put check marks in it. You'll do just enough to keep that person off your back. You'll comply with certain directives because you don't trust them and you can't have commitment without trust. And then you ask yourself, well, why don't I trust them? Well, the reason we don't trust those people is because we don't believe they have our best interest in mind. Because if we did, we would develop a trusting relationship with them. It's really an interesting dynamic whenever you think about it. Now, what are one of, how do we go about as, as people that want to have influence or, or those of us who consider ourselves leaders, how do we go about getting our employees to believe that we legitimately have their best interest in mind? Well, here's one way to do it. Let's just say your employee comes to you and they've developed a certain level of proficiency within uh, their role and they've identified a way to maybe reverse engineer some sort of process or they've identified a way to short a sales cycle and you're, you listen to their suggestions. You're like, huh, that's really kind of an inter interesting idea. Yeah. Why don't you go try that? With the only request, the only request that you make is that after whatever time period you, you set, is that you have the employee report out, report out to you. 
as to what they learned, minimally what they learned, and you know, ideally including the outcome. And that's what you offer to your employee. And your employee leaves, you know, the office or the you know the area that you were talking um, with them uh, in, and it's just like, huh, well that's odd. All of my previous managers have, whenever I've gone to them with some sort of idea or a request, what they do is they make the decision for me, which creates this weird kind of codependent relationship, which is altogether too common uh, with managers where, you know, their, their ego takes over and they want to be the solution to all problems. And it creates massive inefficiencies within uh, organizations because everything ends up bottlenecking through that individual. And if, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees when you're that type of manager. But in this case, the manager said, yeah, go do it. And the employee is like, huh, okay, well, I'll go do that. And then there's a next time that the manager allows the employee to make the decision and think critically and creatively and innovatively. I mean, we don't, we don't want to start jobs or work in jobs where we're automatons, where we're just simply robotic going through the motions and everything that we do requires some, you know, sort of managerial approval. I mean, we lose the ability to have control or agency in our lives whenever we live in that. It's completely uninspiring. But how do you inspire action? You empower other people to do the job that they were hired to do. After all, you hired them specifically to do that job. You hired them for their skill set, their experience, their ability to think critically, their ability to solve problems, their ability to come up with really innovative solutions. That's why we ultimately hired them. And what? We're just going to we're just going to stifle them. No. No, there's a better way. And that way is to empower your employees to make their own decisions, empower them to figure things out on their own, knowing that they're going to make mistakes and knowing that they're going to learn a ton from those mistakes. You're not going to let them step in it where it's a deal breaking employment ending sort of deal, right? We wouldn't do that. So, but you're going to allow them to make mistakes because they're going to learn from them. They're going to grow and develop. Another way of saying all this is when you empower others, you are, as a manager, you are giving your power away. You're giving your decision-making authority away. You're giving away your ability to control the situation or control the behavior of your employees away. And in doing so, the employee starts believing that you have their best interest in mind. As I mentioned earlier, when you start stacking those types of situations up, the employee legitimately believes that, and then they start trusting you. And by virtue of them trusting you, they become more committed to you because they feel what it's like to have someone invested in them, invested in their growth and development, invested in their success, invested in them being allowed to figure stuff out. They feel it. And John Maxwell, his famous quote is so spot on when he, it's like, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. 
once the employee feels that you care about them, they start trusting you and then they become committed to you. And you know what the irony to all of it is? When you give your power away and your employee believes, trusts, and commits to you, you get more power in return, which is to say you become more influential in the life of that employee. So at some point, because you're making deposits, I mean, it's like a bank account. You're making deposit, deposit, deposit. And at some point, both of you know you're going to have to make some sort of withdrawal. There's going to be a request. Maybe it's to work uh, into the evenings. Maybe it's to work uh, you know, over the weekends. There's going to be some request that you as a manager are going to need to make of, of that employee. And because you've built that, that dynamic, that being influential in their life, they'll be willing to help out. They'll be willing to go above and beyond, willing to go the extra mile. This is what it means to have power. This is leadership. And the prerequisite for leadership is to have a willing follower. If you want to understand the effectiveness of your leadership or anyone else's, look at the followers or look at how many willing followers someone has. If you, employees are simply checking boxes and engaging in malicious compliance, that's not willing followership. That's the child having to clean his or her room because if he or she doesn't, they're going to get in trouble. They're going to get in trouble. I mean, it, it, it's coercive. That's not power. That's force. Force leads to ultimately to a feeling of powerlessness because they don't feel, people don't feel as though they have control over the direction or outcome of their life. And it, it's extraordinarily uh, stressful in, in those moments. You take, um, you know, anybody who's who's been assaulted or a victim of domestic violence, and you look at that person's counterpart. That person doesn't have influence in their life. That person has control over them, and they're forcing, you know, certain actions or certain behaviors. It's extraordinarily stressful. And whenever you ultimately feel powerless, it's like, what do I do with that? Where do I go with that? Because I don't feel like I have agency here. You see this happen um, on occasion with, uh, with adult children. So if you think about the parent-child dynamic, there's clearly a, you know, one or two individuals that have positional authority. That's either mom or dad. They have positional authority over, um, over their child's life. As the child um, gets a little bit older and really starting right around the age of eight, at least this is what psychological research tells us, right around the age of eight, the need for parental validation or even adult validation, teachers, coaches, et cetera, starts to decline a little bit in favor of the validation of friends, so social validation. This is a very normal thing. And then these children become teenagers. And I've got myself, I have a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old, and they're, they're good at it, both of them. <laughs> and 
it, it's it's fascinating to watch. I mean, it's it, it's a really unusual dynamic that's completely natural and completely normal. And I'm actually having um, I have visibility now to why there's conflict between parents and teenagers. The teenagers want agency in their life. Parents are feeling as though they're losing, uh, you know, control there. And really, as we, as the, as the teenager gets close to graduating high school and into college, there's really only one thing that keeps them connected. And there's really only one thing that the parents have control over, and that's that's typically money. And then the child graduates college and gets out and becomes financially independent. And there's really there's nothing tethering. Uh, the the parent uh, and child anymore, because if you think about it, the family that we're born into, I mean, that's an involuntary relationship. And once everything gets severed, and typically the last thing that gets severed is the financial piece uh, of it, that relationship for the first time becomes voluntary. And what gets really, really weird for adult children is when the parents want that control, they want the child to still be dependent on them, maybe emotionally or psychologically. It's not money anymore. And they hold on for dear life. And now that child enters into a relationship that becomes a long-term relationship, becomes engagement, likely becomes marriage. And that adult child is in an impossible spot, an impossible spot with their spouse because they're supposed to be building a life with their new spouse. And yet they're having to deal with these parents, their, their parents that are still trying to exercise some measure of control in their life and trying to have them dependent on them. It, it's, it's just completely weird and backwards and just not how it should go. Not unlike, not unlike a manager who ends up spending considerable time going through the hiring process, screening candidates, interviewing candidates multiple times, hiring someone because they possess the requisite skill set to perform the job well. They hire them. And then right when they bring the new employee on board, they micromanage the hell out of them. It's like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? I mean, we're, we're creating through our need to, you know, over control situations and force things we're 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 breeding resentment in 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 these people we're breeding malicious compliance in in these scenarios because these people feel powerless like wait whoa wow had i known now or had i known then what i know now i wouldn't have taken the job but if you understand that control and dependency and force leads to a feeling of powerlessness, you now know that that isn't power. Power is influence. It's power. You know you have influence in someone's life when they willingly follow you. So just to summarize, the recipe, empower others. Give your power away. They will begin to believe that you have their best, best interest in mind. When they believe it, they will trust you. When they trust you, they'll commit to you. And the irony, once again, is that as you become 
or as you give your power away, you become more influential in their life. They give you that influence. They give you that power. They give you the ability to lead them. So as we wrap up today's uh, conversation, I'm curious as to what you'll do differently. What, what are you going to, how are you going to go about this differently? I mean, minimally, my hope is that you think about the nature of power differently. Um, but I, I suppose um, my, on my wish list was how are you going to go about empowering others more today? The operative word being more, right? How are you going to you know, position yourself more uh, you know, authentically in their life? where people will people will begin to believe that you have their best interest in mind because you're approaching the situation lovingly, respectfully, you want what's best for them and you start demonstrating that. You start demonstrating that. So that's that's my hope. That's my hope. So so just to recap, in today's episode, Um, We looked at the nature of power and its role in our lives and the lives of others. It's a big deal. I mean, this is, this is really, this is a big one. It's a big one to really understand because the reality too is that knowledge is only power. If you've ever heard that expression, knowledge is power. Knowledge is only power if that knowledge is shared or applied. We don't win any contests as parents or teachers or coaches or mentors or, or managers. We don't win any contest by, by holding on to this. We need to share it. We need to teach others how to apply it in their lives. To me, it's incredibly important. It's incredibly important. So give some thought to how you're going to uh, think differently uh, about this, how you're going to live differently how are you going to love differently here? How are you going to lead differently? The, the results will absolutely uh, be impactful in your life and in the lives of others. So with that, until next time, fellow questers.